Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Triple Bill. Uh, I'm joined by Jerry McCauley. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And not James Diamond because he's still ill. This illness is really ravaging his Sunday night. <laughs> um, yes. What, what did he say was wrong with him? Um, I think he AIDS. Um, was it scarlet fever? Some, something. Something like that. No, isn't no. isn't he like quite old, like forty or something? So you know, we should go for some kind of old people. Disease. Alzheimer's, yeah, dementia, um, yeah, scurvy. I just forgot that we're doing the recording. Scurvy. <laughs> he's he's managed to pick <laughs> up. Shit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, I think he's a bit of gout. He's, he's emulating Henry VIII. That's mm. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes, favourite 80s films for this week's Triple Bill. James has faxed his over to us. Yes, he's old and still uses a fax machine. <laughs> 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 oh, he's going to love us this week, isn't he? Yeah. He's going to be like, Steve, you're going to have to re-edit this um, film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's picked films from the 1880s. <laughs> oh, I'll stop the jokes now. Uh, his, How many have you got written down, Steve? Uh, sorry? How many of these have you got written down? Uh, none. It's all ad-libbing. It's all off the top of my head. <laughs> I'll do it on the night. Anyone else got any uh, James illness slash age-related jokes? No. Nah. No? Right. His three films were Back to the Future, The Thing, and this is Spinal Tap. And his brief notes was basically he can and will watch all three of them to the end if he catches them on television. They're all very 80s films, um, but are also timeless. Then he wished us good luck, which was nice. Ah, Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Jerry, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, okay. Um, first thing, I think Steve has done a similar thing to try and avoid talking about Star Wars every week, mm. which Steve and I inevitably do. I have left uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi off my list. And he what Caravan of Courage. Yeah. Not, that, not, one, yeah, yeah. that would win. That would win if it was yeah. included. Um, first one. Um, I, I no particular order. To be honest, I could name a good 20 80s films that I really, really like. I still would have a lot more. I could name 10, 10 to 20 Arnie and Stallone films and Van Damme films and every, every action films from the 80s. I, I, I think it's safe to say that if we were going to pick a decade where we could only watch films from that decade for the rest of our lives, I'd definitely go for the 80s. Yes. 
definitely. Mm, possibly, yeah. Yeah, I think as much as anything, it has the sort of nostalgia value, doesn't it? Of kind of yes, they were the films you watched when you were younger. So yeah, you think of the films that were like I was a kid. I was born eighty six, but I was a kid during the nineties, really, rather than eighties. But all the films I remember watching as a kid were from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, it's all the eighties films were on TV. Yeah, and you had like back when we had four channels, kids. <laughs> I mean, my my um. My my list is very nostalgia heavy, so um, I mean, there's, I think when we get onto my list, we'll realise there's a lot better films been made um, in the eighties, but it's you know very nostalgia heavy. Um, but yes, go on, Jerry, carry on. Okay, as well as eliminating Star Wars, I also tried to remove the kind of films that I've talked about a fair bit on here before. So Blade Runner didn't make the list because I've talked about that not too long ago. Um, Raging Bull didn't make the list because I've talked about that not that long ago. Um, Airplane also got avoided because I talked about that really early on. Um, there was quite a few that, that sort of missed out just purely because I thought, well, give, I'll give the viewers something new to say, uh, to, to hear and talk about and, and maybe to tell me that I'm an idiot about. Um, the first one that I'm going for, in no particular order, comes from the more or less the beginning of the decade. And it is from one of those directors that we have now decided that we don't really like and isn't very good anymore. But I think it's safe to say throughout the 80s, Steven Spielberg was the man. And Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the finest films ever. And like James said about, you know, when films are on TV, you always watch it. You will always watch Raiders. You just always watch Raiders. It's just... Spielberg was throwing out top quality during during the 80s. Yeah, I mean, he seems to have these these bursts of quality as well in Spielberg. It's weird, you know, we talked about how he, he did Schindler's List and Jurassic Park within a year of each other, and he did um, Raiders and E.T. within a year of each other in the 80s and things like that. He's he's a very sort of um, strange director in terms of he seems to do good films in a burst and then do crap films for a while. And then he just can't get any consistency, can he, the poor guy. But yeah. Maybe uh, Lincoln will change that. That's coming out soon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, was it James talked about Lincoln on the last. I I, I put it in my um ones to watch for uh, was it winter preview. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you need to. I'll shut up about that. Then. So yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah. out a few days, isn't it? Oh, sorry. He's um yeah. I think I think Raiders is one of his finest films, and amongst a, a pantheon of brilliant films that he's made, that's quite an achievement, really. Harrison Ford, all-time best is Blade Runner. Second is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I actually prefer him as as Indiana Jones as I do with Han Solo, which Steve's going to shout at me for now. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a close run thing. But Welcome to this week's Triple Bill. Uh, I'm joined by Jerry McCauley. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And not James Diamond because he's still ill. This illness is really ravaging his Sunday night. <laughs> um, yes. What, what did he say was wrong with him? Um, I think he, AIDS. Um, was it Scarlet Fever? Some, something. 
something like that. No, isn't, isn't, isn't he, like, quite old, like 40 or something? So, you know, we should go for some kind of old people. Disease. Alzheimer's. Yeah. Dementia. Um, yeah. Scurvy. I just forgot that we're doing the recording. Scurvy. <laughs> he's managed to pick up. But in all seriousness, I think he's a bit of gout. He's, he's emulating Henry VIII. That's mm. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes, favourite 80s films for this week's Triple Bill. James has faxed his over to us. Yes, he's old and still uses a fax machine. <laughs> 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 oh, he's going to love us this week, isn't he? Yeah. He's going to be like, Steve, you're going to have to re-edit this film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's picked films from the 1880s. <laughs> oh, I'll stop the jokes now. Uh, his, How many have his, you got written down, Steve? Uh, sorry? How many of these have you got written down? Uh, none. It's all ad-libbing. It's all off the top of my head. <laughs> I'll do it on the night. Anyone else got any uh, James illness slash age-related jokes? No. Nah. No? Right. His three films were Back to the Future, The Thing, and this is Spinal Tap. And his brief notes was basically he can and will watch all three of them to the end if he catches them on television. They're all very 80s films, um, but are also timeless. Then he wished us good luck, which was nice. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, so, Jerry, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, okay. Um, first thing, I think Steve has done a similar thing to try and avoid talking about Star Wars every week, mm. which <laughs> Steve and I inevitably do. I have left uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi off my list. And Ewok Caravan of Courage. Yeah, but, that, yeah, one, yeah. that one. That would win if it was yeah. included. Um, first one. Um, I, I no particular order. To be honest, I could name a good 20 80s films that I really, really like. I still would have a lot more. I could name 10, 10 to 20 Arnie and Stallone films and Van Damme films and every, every action films from the 80s. I, I, I think it's safe to say that if we were going to pick a decade where we could only watch films from that decade for the rest of our lives, I'd definitely go for the 80s. Yes. Definitely. Mm, possibly, yeah. I yeah, can't... I think as much as anything, it has the sort of nostalgia value, doesn't it? Of kind of... Yes. They were the films you watched when you were younger, so... Yeah, you think of the films that were... Like, I was a kid... I was born in 86, but I was a kid during the 90s, really, rather than 80s. But all the films I remember watching as a kid were from the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, it's all the 80s films around TV. Yeah. And you had, like... Back when we had four channels, kids. <laughs> I mean, my... my um. My my list is very nostalgia heavy, so um, I mean, there's, I think when we get onto my list, we'll realise there's a lot better films been made um, in the eighties, but it's you know very nostalgia heavy. Um, but yes, go on, Jerry, carry on. Okay, as well as eliminating Star Wars, I also try to remove the kind of films that I've talked about a fair bit on here before. So Blade Runner didn't make the list because I've talked about that not too long ago. Um, Raging Bull didn't make the list because I've talked about that not that long ago. Um, Airplane also got avoided because I talked about that really early on. Um, there was quite a few that, that sort of missed out just purely because I thought, well, give, I'll give the viewers something new to say, uh, to, to hear and talk about and, and maybe to tell me that I'm an idiot about. Um, the first one that I'm going for, in no particular order, comes from the more or less the beginning of the decade. 
and it is from one of those directors that we have now decided that we don't really like and isn't very good anymore. But I think it's safe to say throughout the 80s, Steven Spielberg was the man. And Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the finest films ever. And like James said about, you know, when films are on TV, you always watch it. You will always watch Raiders. You just always watch Raiders. It's just... Spielberg was throwing out top quality during the, during the eighties. Yeah, I mean, he seems to have these these bursts of quality as well. Spielberg, it's weird, you know. We talked about how he he did Schindler's List and Jurassic Park within a year of each other, and he did um, Raiders and ET within a year of each other in the eighties and things like that. He's he's a very sort of um, strange director in terms of he seems to do good films in a burst and then do crap films for a while, and then. You just can't get any consistency, can you, poor guy? But yeah. Maybe uh, Lincoln will change that. That's coming out soon, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, I think, uh, was it James talked about Lincoln on the last... I, I, I put it in my um, ones to watch for, uh, what is it, winter preview. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you need to... I'll shut up about that. Then. So yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah. a few days, isn't it? Oh, sorry. He's... Um, yeah, I think I think Raiders is one of his finest films, and amongst a, a pantheon of brilliant films that he's made, that's quite an achievement, really. Harrison Ford, all-time best, is Blade Runner. Second is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I actually prefer him as as Indiana Jones as I do as Han Solo, which Steve's going to shout at me for now. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a close run thing, but no, it's, it's Han all the way. Ah, uh, well, Indiana Jones is just—I mean—he's an iconic figure now isn't he you think about sort of the adventurer in films it's all based on Indy now that's that's what it is he's kind of the the, the ideal that everyone looks up to it's just it's, it's such a well put together film and like you say about Armageddon and you know films of that they don't make films like that they don't make sort of adventure action films like this with a really great character who's really got some great lines and you know the action sequences were really really well done and the storyline moves along at a nice pace, and it's just brilliant all round. I, li- I can't think of many faults with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm struggling to think of any negatives to say about it. That's that's how good it is. I think it's hard to disagree with you there, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a fantastic film. Um, second one. Unfortunately, I, I tried my hardest to uh, avoid, you know, avoid talking about films that we talked about, but we just talked about Bruce Willis and I couldn't leave him off the list and I left him off the cops list as well because I thought he would win every single one. Die Hard has to be one of the best films ever made. Definitely one of the best films of the 80s. Waiting for Steve to shout crossover. Come on, Steve. Where no, is it? No, because I've, I've avoided, as well as avoiding Star Wars, I avoided films that everyone else had picked and I avoided films that um, I've talked about loads because this was just, or else I'm just going to bore people more than I already do. So, Oh, well, if you want a, a, a really good review of Die Hard, listen to the last podcast that you will have just had out not too long ago, um, where Steve talked about how bloody brilliant it is. Um, I don't know what else we can say about it that we haven't already talked about. John McClane is one of the greatest, uh, he's probably the greatest movie cop ever. I think that's safe to say, apart from Owen, who's just some kind of blasphemer. Yeah, put, puts him about 14th on his list. Yeah, he's no Sydney Poitier. Well, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm going to resist the urge to make a um, David Brent joke again. <laughs> Sydney Poitier. Yeah. Uh, mention it. 
Um, Do you know who my yeah. favourite actor of all time is? Is Harrison Ford? <laughs> no, it's Mr. Sidney Poitier. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, brilliant. You're going to start listing black actors now, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I uh, watched that film with Denzel Washington in the other night. <laughs> good actor. Yeah. So that's, Very good. Mm. Moving on. Okay, Die Hard. I'm not going to dwell on Die Hard. You all know how good it is. If you don't, go and hang yourself. It's not worth it. If you don't, if you don't like Die Hard, if you if you like it and you just you like it but you don't like it enough, then go and watch it again and make sure you like it enough. That's all I'll say about it. Um, the third film, it was very hard to narrow this down, right? And I thought I would just go for nostalgia value for one of them at least, just pure nostalgia. And it was a very, very tough call between Superman 2 and Ghostbusters. And I chose Ghostbusters because it's fantastic. And I think as a standalone, as its own film, I think it just about edges Superman 2 in terms of quality. Just. But I do love Superman 2. Um, Ghostbusters, obviously the story of three um, recently unemployed professors who set up a ghost removal service which is obviously called Ghostbusters. Uh, Dan Aykroyd um, is still trying to revive this. He's still trying to make a new one. We've talked about it on here before, haven't we? Just yep. just, just leave it, Dan. Just you know, Especially if Bill Murray's not going to get himself involved, just, just leave it. Yeah. Um, Bill Murray at his all-time best, I think, in, in yeah. Ghostbusters. I think that's probably the pinnacle of his sort of comedic, um, deadpan brilliance. Um, there's also, you know, the cast, the supporting cast as well in Ghostbusters, I think is very underrated. You've got Sigourney Weaver, who's playing the sort of leading lady, but then people like Rick Moranis are really, really good in it as well. Um, I'm trying to think, what what is Rick Moranis doing with himself these days? He's dropped off the face of the earth, hasn't the, he? The 80s was Rick Moranis' decade. <laughs> yeah, and then he started doing like, honey, we shrunk every single oh, yeah. thing you could possibly think of. Yeah. For years and years and years. Oh, wasn't he in that rubbish Flintstones film as well? He was. He played Barney uh, Rubble. Yeah, he was. He played Barney Rubble. So, I mean... Rick Moranis, yeah. get in touch if you're listening. Hmm. Um, yeah, come and join us one week. Talk about films with us. <laughs> we can't pay, but I mean, what else you got on? Let's be honest. Oh, yeah, that's not really going to entice him very much, Steve. <laughs> Insulting the guy. Yeah. We like doing quite a lot of things, Rick. Come on, just jump on the pod. It'll be, yeah. it'll be quite fun. Yeah, Ghostbusters, it, it, it's one of those films that I remember so fondly from my childhood and it's just so brilliant. It's, it's got everything you would want from a, an 80s film. You know, when we were talking about sort of that real 80s character, and I think James mentioned it in his choices as well, they're very 80s. Ghostbusters is a really 80s film and it's just got a lot of happy memories associated with it. So is Superman. I think Ghostbusters probably, looking at it objectively, is probably the better film. And uh, don't don't make a new one, Dan. Just just leave that one. <laughs> but you know, it's even as well. I think the thing that people forget about it is, is he's kind of like they're, they're they're sort of intelligent characters, aren't they? The three main characters, you know, the professors, and yeah. they talk about history and they talk about Hittites and Sumerians and all sorts of things with you know with the uh, main body, what's he called? Um, with Goza, you know, yeah, exactly. they're talk, talking about ancient civilizations and all sorts of stuff, and it's that kind of 
I think Looper does a similar kind of thing in that it, it doesn't expect the audience to be stupid, you know, but it's mm. still but, I mean, really we, good we, fun. We've spoke about that lots of times before where maybe not so much the, the writers and, and the directors and producers, but studios tend to think that people who go to watch films at the cinema are thick and have to sort of make everything really easy for them, and they don't. People aren't as thick as what you think. Some people are, trust me, but I've met them. But in general, in general, people... a podcast or something. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, most people aren't really that stupid and they can understand a more complex plot than what you give them um, credit for. Do you know what else I realised that, that made me quite sad as well about Ghostbusters, you know, when I was doing my research for this? What? Ivan uh, Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters, yeah, made a classic. Do you know, have you, I made Twins as well, which is a classic 80s film. <laughs> made Ghostbusters yeah. 2. Did kind of Kindergarten Cop going into the 90s. You know, great run of films. Do you know what he's done since in the last decade or so? What? Evolution. My mm. super ex-girlfriend. And No Strings Attached. Ooh. What happened to you? Come on. Imagine making all those films and then just making shit. Absolute shit. Like my super ex-girlfriend. Yeah, but, you know, Kindergarten Cop, as good as it is, is basically a film of its time, isn't it? There were a lot of that similar sort of film out. Well, yes. <laughs> so I think it's kind of just rides a bandwagon a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, but he made the two Ghostbusters films. He did make very good films. Before that, so... I think he deserves a lot of credit for that, for that, that sort of run of films. Oh yeah, definitely. Film, films like Twins as well are very eighties. You know, that's what I think mm-hmm. of with with eighties. That kind of that kind of atmosphere. There was a lot of good buddy cop films as well in the eighties, weren't there? Mm. Has anybody chosen one of them? No. 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 I was trying. I was trying to do you a really good link there, Steve, but no. No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> um... My three: Die Hard, Ghostbusters, and of course Raiders. And if I'm not having them, can we have? You know, just a lot of another mention: Blade Runner, the two Star Wars films, and all the diehards. Because yeah, yeah. Well, um, my list, like I said, trying to avoid. Well, I did avoid Star Wars, Die Hard, Blade Runner, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future. Basically, anything that I've spoken about before, anything that anyone else is going to pick. Um, so I've started off with the Goonies. Okay. I don't think you could epitomise a, 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 a sort of children's adventure film from the 80s more than you can with the Goonies. Massive, yeah, ma- it's ma- very 80s. Very, very 80s. Very 80s. Very entertaining. A lot of fun. Um, starring Sean Astin of um, Hobbit fame and Corey Feldman of... Um, I don't really know what anymore. <laughs> was it him or the other Corey that died? That was the other uh, one. It was R- River Phoenix who died. No, there was another one. Corey Haim. Corey Haim. I think he he's dead, I think. I have no idea, to be honest. I'm pretty sure he is. Let me double-check that before I sort of... They did, yes, Corey, uh... Corey Haim died in 2010. Oh, sure. um, Corey Feldman yeah. is very much alive. So, there we go. Anyway, yes, the Goonies, um, a group of friends uh, who all have different characteristics, of course, or else it wouldn't make for a very good film, all end up finding a map to some treasure that will save their neighbourhood from being made into probably something else that they don't want it to be made into, and so they can all stay together as friends. But there's some 
nasty people and bad people who are after the treasure as well. I'm sure you've all seen the Goonies as sort of normal people. Yes. Do you, do you want to know my favourite Corey Feldman fact, by the way, just as a as an aside? Is he related to uh, EastEnders cast member? Because if not, I'm not <laughs> interested. He, he might be, but I don't know that. Look it up, Steve. You have to get some genealogical research going on, look yeah. into his family tree and stuff. Yeah. So, we'll see if he's got a connection. He did, he, I mean, he did a fantastic, he's kind of like the iconic 80s kid star, isn't he? You know, he did yeah. um, Gremlins, he did Goonies, uh, Stand By Me as well. Was That was 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Owen, he, his last film, Corey Feldman, was The Zombie King. So one for you there. Zombie King? Yes. I might have seen that. Released this year. Oh, in which case, no. Yes, so uh, one for you. So. Uh, uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was um he was in the Lost Boys as well, which is probably the most eighties movie ever. Mm. Um but he was prior to his success, you know, quite a few years before the Goonies, where he's reasonably young, he got a break by being the voice of sort of something. I can't remember what exactly he was the voice of in The Fox and the Hound. You know the Disney film? I know mm-hmm. the Disney film. I'm familiar with the Disney version of The Fox and the Hound. He was yeah, the voice was... of young Copper. Um, oh, there you go. I don't think it was a policeman. That was, um, no, that was uh, the Kurt Russell voice, wasn't it? Yeah. Con- yeah, Kurt Russell was the voice of the the proper older version. There you go. So he was he was around from such a young age and did that amazing run of 80s films and then got very drug adult and stopped yeah. doing anything good. Um, but yeah, the Goonies, back to the Goonies. How can you not enjoy it? I mean, how can you not sit there for whatever it is, about the hour and a half it's on for and, and turn it off with a smile on your face? Um, if a family member died while you were watching it. Right. Um, <laughs> you asked the question, Steve. Yeah. Come on. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm thinking of possible scenarios. For anyway, you. you said that The Lost Boys was possibly the most <laughs> 80s film ever. Jerry. Yeah. Second definitely. second on my list could be more eighties than that. Ooh. It's Top Gun. Uh I've never seen Top Gun. You've never seen Top Gun? No. It just looks like a film for homosexuals. What? <laughs> What's wrong yeah. with you? James hadn't seen it until this year and then he got a load of stick for for slagging it off, so I'm not even gonna bother watching it's, it now. It's bloody brilliant, it's loads of fun. Yeah. It sounds like sort of bump fun, kind of loads of fun. Well, you know, what you expect? Just a load of action and some planes shooting stuff down and some people being a bit cool and, yeah. It's got I, Tom Cruise in it though, isn't it? And you don't like Tom Cruise. Yeah, I hate Tom Cruise. Yeah. But I always, I always just assumed that it was like one of those sort of iconic gay movies that gay people liked and normal people didn't. No, I don't really... Normal? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I mean. Heterosexual. Sorry, sorry to any homosexuals <laughs> who are listening. I do not mean to be offensive in that way. It's just late at night. Jerry, <laughs> Jerry McCauley's views on the gays are not shared by the rest of the failed critic family. <laughs> so, are you saying that you are in fact homophobic, Steve? Because I've just, I just was. Like, well, just yes, fact that I, I'm not homophobic. Now. I think you were sort of, you know, hidden behind a wall of closet homosexuality. Well, no, that's what I'm saying about <laughs> Top Gun. Isn't that what the whole film is about? Isn't it all about? Not so closet homosexuality. Probably. I'm, like, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's got the, that kind of tone to it. Whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's, well, it's it's not a film like Inception. I'm not lo- looking for hidden meanings and depth in the film. I'm looking for some people flying some, some planes and shooting the shit out of stuff. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I I have seen Top Gun a long time ago, and I didn't like it much. All right, it's, it's uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, my second pick. There we go, fine. Well, there you go. Or it it's might be Who Framed board. Roger Rabbit. I don't know. It's the 80s. There's lots of good films. I don't know what to pick. I completely forgot about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've changed my mind. It's not Top Gun. It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that is a great film. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, you know the scene in that where the steamroller goes over the boat? Yeah. That was one of the most freaky scenes I'd seen as a kid. That really was just like one of those proper nightmares after watching it kind of scenes. He was a creepy character though, wasn't he? He was, yeah. yeah. That film was just brilliant. And I'm so, do you know the thing about that though? Why have they never made another film in that style since then? Mm. Apparently, mm. apparently they're meant to be making a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which just worries the hell out of me, but, you know. Yeah, I was going to say that makes me really worried. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't really work in sort of, Today's kids wouldn't get it because I'm, um, you know, when you flick through the, like the, the cartoon channels and stuff, the kids' channels, the cartoons just aren't like that anymore. Yeah, you know? Tex Avery style cartoons—they're just not on TV anymore. Or when you watch like Tom and Jerry or something, and it's the modern Tom and Jerry where all the violence has kind of been softened, and it's just, just—it's ridiculous. I don't think you could have a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit anyway. Yeah. That's just a bizarre idea. Um, my final film was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is also pretty 80s. Yeah, that whole run of films is, is very 80s, isn't it? Like The Breakfast Club and yeah. Bueller. Easily the best thing Matthew Broderick has ever done. Um, certainly better than Godzilla. Oh, well, yeah, what isn't? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, really. Well, you... Isn't he married to someone really good, though? Like, really good-looking. Like, way, way, way better in terms of acting and good-lookingness than he is. Um, I don't know. He's... I don't really rate Matthew Broderick very highly, to be honest with you. Like, neither do I. But, I mean, I did really like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So Yeah, he was really good at that. But then, since then... Hmm. He's good in Election. Election's a very good film. And he's very good in it. If you haven't seen that, I'd definitely recommend that. And he, he was in Lion King, wasn't he? Did he voice someone in Lion King? He was Simba, wasn't he? Simba, yeah, yeah. Uh, James, uh, Jerry, you yeah. you were very wrong about him being with somebody very attractive. All right, go it, on then. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh no! So I mean, <laughs> you, I, I I mean, I still think he's, he's punching above his. I still think he's punching above his weight, but she's she's not an attractive lady. I think they probably deserve each other, actually. <laughs> um. Anyway, Matthew Broderick, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. When you watch it, and when you finish watching it, you think, I'd love to have a day off school like that. I'd love to be able to skive and have that happen. And the nearest you get is pulling a sickie, but then because of that, you just have to stay in bed all day because your parents are home, like one of them's home from work, and you think, well, I can't actually go and do anything because they'll go, well, you're not ill, so go to school. It's harder harder to pull off. Pulling a sickie like that is harder to pull off than what Ferris Bueller makes out to be. But that's the only bad point in the film. Yeah, it's, it's the, the sort of relationship between the two main characters, and between Ferris and Cameron, is just brilliant, isn't it? All the yeah. way through. 
they're just it's one of the best cinematic pairings that's ever been really in terms of just being very normal as well. Do you know what I mean? They're very recognisable, identifiable characters. Mm-hmm. And you kind of wonder how uh, Cameron sort of become friends with Ferris because he's like the complete opposite. Ferris is like this yeah. outgoing sort of, I suppose, rogue's the kind of the right word, sort of does what he wants and tries to have a good time. And Cameron's just a real negative, pessimistic person. Mm. Maybe it's because his dad's got a Ferrari. Maybe that's why they became friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, right, Owen, your list. Okay, my list, yeah. I mean, I don't need to emphasise the point, but, you know, like you two, I've chosen three films that I hopefully haven't talked about on here before. If I have, then I apologise, but I don't remember talking about them. Um, certainly that was triple bill choices. But my first choice is Wall Street, um, directed by Oliver Stone, uh, starring Michael Douglas, Charlie and Martin Sheen. Lots of other recognisable faces as well. It's essentially the story of a young stockbroker who is uh, willing to do anything to get to the top. So he's a typical 80s guy. You know, um, He ends up trading on some illegal inside information. Um, basically gets in a lot of trouble for it. Um, but he did it because he was taken under the wing of a greedy corporate raider uh, who was played by Michael Douglas. But it's, you know, it's a very good film. Um, I only saw it, I think it was last year for the first time, but I absolutely um, fell in love with it. I think it's a very, very good film. So obviously the story's theme is about how power corrupts. Um, and Charlie Sheen's character is this guy who starts out with very little, but through sort of determination, he kind of makes it to the top, but also um, obviously through uh, illicit means, he makes it to the top. But his character's tested, and now ultimately he does give in to this, his own lust for power and money. But I think that's what makes it a good film. It's, it's, you know, it's not just a parable about this guy, and you know, it's not just this power corrupts. Ultimately, it's all, you know, there is a story to it. There's this character, and he's developed, and he's, he, you know, it might have deeper meaning and be quite satirical, but it's, it's got a lot of heart to it as well. So I think I was quite taken by that. Um, I think also say as well that. Uh, you can sort of identify with the characters, can't you? Yeah. You can see yourself being dragged in in the same way, so... That's right. I mean, he's just an ambitious guy who just, you know, all he wants is to to win the respect of his father, but he also wants to live the, you know, high-flying 80s yuppie lifestyle, you know? But, um, yeah. But his relationship with his father, you know, who is played by Martin Sheen, so that's a bit weird, is kind of strained, and they've got different values. You know, Charlie's this personification of the 80s excess and gung-ho lifestyle. Martin's more of this traditional character, leader of the union kind of thing. So they play play off each other so well. It's great. But, you know, Charlie's seeking out a different kind of father figure in Michael Douglas, um, who kind of fits the ideals that he's actually looking for in a father figure. I think there's just a great dynamic, not just between those two, but, you know, the way that Charlie interacts with both of them in separate ways, it's it's, it's brilliant. Um, you know, speaking of Michael Douglas, isn't he just amazing in this film? I think it's it's an actor I hadn't really paid much attention to before I saw Wall Street. Um, oh, he's a great character in this, and it's, it's an awesome performance that goes along with it. You know, it's a very clever story. He's got great characters and stuff, but I think his is really just a standout. 
Um, and also, of course, it fades out at the end of the film to Naive Melody by um, Talking Heads. So obviously it gets bonus points for that. I, I, can I ask, have you seen the sequel that came out not too, was that a year or two ago that came with, out? With Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't because I saw that it was Shia LaBeouf and I thought, no, I don't want to see that. But actually, since I've seen Lawless, I'm pretty, a bit more open to, to seeing a film with him in because I was very impressed with him in Lawless. So maybe I'll have to dig it out now. <laughs> But yeah, that was my first first choice. Second choice is um, The Evil Dead, which was quite early on in the 80s. Be surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but I haven't chosen Evil Dead for any triple bill before, I don't think. So I've got to get it in some point and might as well get it in while we're talking about 80s films. Um, although it does just about sneak in, being from 1981. But yeah, of course, directed by Sam Raimi. It's the ultimate cabin in the woods horror story. Um and it's just kind of full to the brim of classic, of what, what is now considered sort of classic horror film techniques. Um, you know, there's lots of gore, lots of splatter, lots of dark humour. Um, and of course, Bruce Campbell is in it. You know, people getting possessed via trees. Um, yeah, it's just got all these kind of now iconic scenes from horror films. Uh, it's just an absolute classic film. I wouldn't even confine it to just being a classic horror film. I think it's just become bigger than that. Um, yeah, it's one of those films as well that's never too late for it to be the first time you ever watch it. So I don't think it, it, it seems dated because of the techniques that are used to create it. It just doesn't look old. I think it just looks quite fresh every time I watch it. It looks so, a bit lo-fi, but it doesn't look sort of dated, does it? No, that's it. Yeah, just because it's not CGI, you know, it's all like uh, makeup and stuff like that. It, it's just, I think it that helps it. It sure, I mean, sure, it looks like an eighties film, but it doesn't look dated in a way. Something you know that came after it. I mean, you think Lord Mower Man, for example, you know that used a lot of CGI, new, you know, it was fancy with all its techniques. But you watch it now, and it looks quite dated. Whereas the, the kind of horror films that use these, um, you know, put a lot of money and time into the prosthetics of the, the scenes and stuff you know i think it helps it it doesn't doesn't age it as much but um yeah there's just absolutely bucket load of gore in this film as well you know lots of jumpy scenes some really creepy uh parts to the film an ace lead character yeah i mean evil ted do evil dead 2 is great film but i do prefer the original i think evil dead 2 is probably the better film when you're looking at it from kind of technical point of view but I just I just Evil Dead is probably my favourite of the two it's the sort of it's all that choppy camera work as well you know how fast it is as well that that has become so widespread in horror now yeah yeah that's right I mean the camera that just rushes through the woods and stuff just looks brilliant but you forget how sort of groundbreaking that was at the time you know and the sort of he manages to do all that quick stuff and create so much tension by having the camera seem to be sort of a person a lot of the time. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I really like Evil Dead, but I think one of the troubles with it is you seem to forget just how innovative it was at the time. I think you mm-hmm. find, I find it really hard because so much horror now is based almost entirely on it. It's very difficult to see, to remember that this was the first one to do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. But you know, I still think it seems quite fresh when you watch it. It seems um, 
It might have had a lot of things pinched from it, but I still, I, I really like it. It, it. it was very original. I showed it to my um, brother, not to, no, I didn't. I showed it to my mate uh, a couple of years ago for the first time. He'd never seen it before. Uh, and yeah, he, he loved it as well. He found it very scary and stuff. So that's the beauty of a, a horror film, isn't it? If you can still find it scary so many years after it's been released, that's kind of a sign of a classic, I think. Yeah. Um, but my third final choice um, is a film that isn't without its flaws, um, but it's sort of so iconic and had a real impact on me the first time I saw it that I couldn't really leave it out. Uh, and it is another horror film, I'm afraid, but it's Clive Barker's 1987 horror film, Hellraiser. Uh, yeah, it's about an unfaithful wife who encounters the zombie of a dead lover who's being chased by demons after he escaped from uh, their kind of sadomasochistic hell. After, the, after he used a little toy box that unleashed the evil Cenobites who torture and kill those who possess it. So it's obviously set up to be a very visual style horror film and like the evil dead it is very gory um but the gore doesn't feel out of place uh in this kind of film i think as it sometimes can feel a little bit shoehorned in that oh we've just got to make this horror film and we're just going to put lots of blood splatter and stuff you know but it was it's all relevant to the plot the whole kind of sadomasochistic themes that are developed throughout the story of the film you, you kind of need those excessive levels of gore. Um, and I thought the effects were pretty good. They get, they seem to be bashed quite a lot, actually, when I was reading up a bit Hellway. So I'm not sure why, because I think they, they still look very, um, just creepy, I think is the main word for them. They just look really creepy. Um, but, you know, like I say, it's not with its flaws. The, the plot and the characters are a little bit thin on the ground at times, so I can understand why it gets some criticism in that respect. Uh, and I'm kind of guessing, although I haven't read it, but Clive Barker's original book that this was based on, Hellbound Heart, um, I think that explores those those aspects of the story um, a little more descriptively than the film. But I think the film does a good enough job of sort of presenting these ideas to you and these characters in a very, very sort of exciting way. But yeah, it made, it made it onto my final three choices, mostly, I guess, because of nostalgia. Um because the first time I'd ever seen it, uh, well, so, sort of the first time I ever saw it anyway, was um, when I tried to watch it when I was quite young. I was about eight or nine, and my parents were in the other room with some of their friends, and it was quite late at night, and me and my younger brother just in the living room, flicking through the channels on the TV, as you do, trying to get away with watching something you're not supposed to. Um, and I came across this film, and I, I had this bloke with pins sticking out of his head, and there were these chains and blood flying everywhere. Uh, and I just thought it looked incredible. Very scary, um, but incredible, all the same. But I only managed to watch a few minutes of it because my brother went and grasped on me, told on my parents, and they came in and turned the TV over and sent us to bed. But it kind of had an effect on me because looking back, that's probably a good thing I only saw a little bit of it because it, it probably would have fucked me up for quite some time if I'd seen the whole film. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
uh, being only eight years old or nine years old or however old I was. But it held this kind of mysticism for me because it was this unattainable film. It was just kind of tantalised me with a few minutes of something that I knew I shouldn't have been watching and I saw this, these these horrid, like, demons. And, yeah, it was just one of these films that I, I knew that I had to watch it when I was older. It, was one of these, it took me a few years to actually finally get around to watching it, but this image has sort of been implanted in my head from quite a young age. And when I did see it, I really did like it. Um, I did enjoy the sequel. I read the comics as well. I've become sort of a little bit of a Clive Parker fan. So I do quite like it. It's it's quite, but I, you know, I can appreciate that there are quite a few flaws to the story um, and to the, some of the characters and their decisions and some of the expositional dialogue that we hate on this podcast. But um, that few minutes when I saw it uh, when I was younger means I've got to kind of include it on my favourite 80s films list because it was the kid link for my love of horror films, I guess. So I couldn't leave it out. Have you seen all the, like, slightly dodgy sequels of it? I've only seen um, the first three films in the series. The others, I did try and put the Fine. There were a few that are available for um, streaming on Love Film, and I do look at them sometimes on like a, a Sunday afternoon, and my wife's gone out, and I'm sat at home on my own, and I think, yeah, I could watch it, but um, I'm not going to watch it. I'll stick with just those three films and the comics, I think. How many have they made now? Do you know? I mean, I, I, yeah. it's one of those things where it's kind of like Saw. They just kept on making film after film after film, didn't they? Yeah, there were nine films, I think. I think they. Nine. Wow. Yeah, I think it's just because it's part of this thing where if they don't make another film, they lose the rights to the series and stuff. So they have to just keep pumping out these shitty films that no one's ever going to watch. I think the last one wasn't even, you know, it was just made and not released because they just thought we just need to keep the rights to it. It's amazing. Yeah, nine films. I've just found the ninth one. It's called Hellraiser Revelations. Oh yeah, that's two point eight out of ten on IMDb. Oh wow, that's that. That's impressive. <laughs> one of the recent ones, one of the two, the two thousand and five one, was um, about gamers playing a, a massively multiplayer online RPG. Yeah, based on Hellraiser, and it's a film about them playing a game about Hellraiser. Oh, I bet that's very clever. Yeah, I bet they did some really great things with that. These, oh, wow. And, and the fact that there are nine, it's just incredible that these depths of cinema exist. You know what I mean? Well, it's like Halloween films, isn't it? The Halloween series. They just kept making more and more and more until they thought, well, we'll just reboot the series. The last one they made before they rebooted it had Jamie Lee Curtis in it um, for like a very couple, very, very early stages of the film. And it was just, it's a terrible film. I mean, it was really awful. I think it had Buster Rhymes in it, and they were filming some kind of, um, you know, TV sh- TV show. I think it was, and he was it was on these live. No, it was internet. It was over the internet because it was back when the internet was this cool new thing, and they were streaming this new TV show via the internet. But actually, uh, Michael Myers really turned up at this house that they were filming at, and he started killing everyone. It's really awful. I mean. It just no wonder they had to reboot the series. Hellraiser, I think, could do with a reboot, um, really, because some of the techniques that you could apply to that film, retrospectively or even through, like, like say, just a, a reboot of the whole franchise, would be quite interesting. And it's uh, Clive Barker's original novel, Hellbound Heart, was split between the first two films, 
but not in the kind of way that the, the, the book tells the story of that film and the other film together. They they kind of took the themes from it and made two separate films. So I think you, there is scope to actually change the story a little bit or build on the story, kind of, you know. But I'm going off on a bit of a rant about horror films, so I'll shut up now. Maybe that's a, a good time to end <laughs> the uh, podcast for this week. Um, so yes, join us next week where uh, we'll be reviewing uh, Sinister. And can anyone remember what a triple pill is next week? Um, It'll be a surprise, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I've got it somewhere. I have got it written you, down somewhere. You to, you to entertain the fans quickly, I'll find out. Um, Jerry, tell them where they can find a website and everything and say thanks to that dude who does the music. Um, the guy, sorry, the, the website is failedcritics.com. Twitter is at failedcritics. Uh, we're also on Facebook, which is Facebook slash failedcritics, I believe. Uh, critic, I think. Is it failedcritic? No S. Oh, this is the trouble with rebrands, you see. <laughs> Not commercially. Feel, feel, uh, like Car- feel like Cardiff City Football Club with our, with our massive rebrand. <laughs> and I think, um, oh, I know what the trouble was. It was, well, we're going to have to change this, you know? Yeah. Because it was the Taken um, Revenge Films one, wasn't it? Well, we don't have to change it. <laughs> we can still do revenge films. Yeah, but it's not really tied into Taken, is it? Uh, well, no, but I mean, this wasn't really, like, 80s films wasn't tied into Looper, so. Well. No. I think we've said the word taken more times than James would have liked because I think he's trying to avoid any kind of public uh, advertising for that yes. film. <laughs> revenge films will probably be changed. I don't think revenge films kind of fits in with the main review of Sinister so much. Well, we hope you we hope you've taken to us on this podcast <laughs> and you'll join us next week. Do you know who my yeah. favourite actor of all time is? Is Harrison Ford? <laughs> no, it's Mr. Sidney <laughs> Poitier. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, what I'm saying. You're going to start listing black actors now, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I uh, watched that film with Denzel Washington in the other night. <laughs> a good actor. Yeah. So that Very is... good. Mm. Moving on. Okay. Die Hard. I'm not going to dwell on Die Hard. You all know how good it is. If you don't, Go and hang yourself. It's not worth it if you don't. If you don't like Die Hard, if you, if you like Owen and you just you like it, but you don't like it enough, then go and watch it again and make sure you like it enough. That's all I'll say about it. Um, the third film, it was very hard to narrow this down, right? And I thought I would just go for nostalgia value for one of them at least, just pure nostalgia. And it was a very very tough call between Superman Two and Ghostbusters, and I chose Ghostbusters because. It's fantastic, and I think as a standalone, as its own film, I think it just about edges Superman 2 in terms of quality. Just, but I do love Superman 2. Um, Ghostbusters, obviously the story of three um, 
recently unemployed professors who set up a ghost removal service, which is obviously called Ghostbusters. Uh, Dan Aykroyd um, is still trying to revive this. He's still trying to make a new one. We've talked about it on here before, haven't we? Just, yep. just, just leave it, Dan. Just, you know, especially if Bill Murray's not going to get himself involved, just, just leave it. Yeah, um, Bill Murray at his all-time best, I think, in, in yeah. Ghostbusters. I think that's probably the pinnacle of his sort of comedic, um, deadpan brilliance. Um, there's also, you know, the cast, the supporting cast as well in Ghostbusters, I think, is very underrated. You've got Sigourney Weaver, who's playing the sort of leading lady, but then. People like Rick Moranis are really, really good in it as well. Um, I'm trying to think, what what is Rick Moranis doing with himself these days? He's dropped off the face of the earth, hasn't he? The 80s was Rick Moranis' decade. <laughs> yeah, and then he started doing, like, Honey, We Shrunk, every single oh, yeah. thing you could possibly think of. Yeah. For years and years and years. Oh, wasn't he in that rubbish Flintstones film as well? He was. He played Barney oh, Rubble. Yeah, he was. He played Barney Rubble. So I mean, Moranis, yeah. get in touch if you're listening. Hmm. Um, yeah, come and join us one week. Talk about films with us. <laughs> we can't pay, but I mean, what else you got on? Let's be honest. Oh, yeah, that's not really gonna entice him very much, Steve. <laughs> Insulting the guy. Yeah, we like you in quite a lot of things, Rick. Come on, just jump on the pod. It'll be, yeah. it'll be quite fun. Yeah, Ghostbusters. It, 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 it's one of those films that I remember so fondly from my childhood, and it's just so brilliant. And it's it's got everything you would want from a, an 80s film. You know, when we were talking about sort of that real 80s character, and I think James mentioned it in his choices as well, they're very 80s. Ghostbusters is a really 80s film. And it's just got a lot of happy memories associated with it. So is Superman. But I think Ghostbusters probably, looking at it objectively, is probably the better film. And uh, don't don't make a new one, Dan. Just, just leave that one. <laughs> But, you know, it's even as well, I think the thing that people forget about it is, is he's kind of like, they're, they're, they're sort of intelligent characters, aren't they? The three main characters, you know, the professors. And yeah. they talk about history and they talk about Hittites and Sumerians and all sorts of things with, you know, with the uh, main body, what's he called? Um, with Goza, you know, yeah, they're yeah. Talk, talking about ancient civilizations and all sorts of stuff. And it's that kind of, I think Looper does a similar kind of thing in that it, it doesn't expect the audience to be stupid, you know, but it's mm. still but, I mean, really good we, fun. We've spoke about that lots of times before where maybe not so much the, the writers and, and the directors and producers, but studios tend to think that people who go to watch films at the cinema are thick and have to sort of make everything really easy for them, and they don't. People aren't as thick as what you think. Some people are, trust me, but I've met them. But in general, in general, record a podcast or something. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, most people aren't really that stupid, and they can understand a more complex plot than we give them um, credit for. Do you know what else I realised that that made me quite sad as well about Ghostbusters? You know, I was doing my research for this. What? Ivan uh, Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters, yeah, made a classic. Do you know, have you, I made Twins as well, which is a classic 80s film. <laughs> made Ghostbusters yeah. 2. Did kind of Kindergarten Cop going into the 90s. You know, great run of films. Do you know what he's done since in the last decade or so? What? Evolution. My mm. super ex-girlfriend. And No Strings Attached. Ooh. What happened to you? Come on. 
imagine making all those films and then just making shit. Absolute shit, like my super ex-girlfriend. Yeah, but, you know, Kindergarten Cop, as good as it is, is basically a film of its time, isn't it? There were a lot of that similar sort of film out. Well, yes. <laughs> so I think it's kind of just rides a bandwagon a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, but he made the two Ghostbusters. He did make very good films before that, so I think he deserves a lot of credit for that for that that sort of run of films. Oh yeah, definitely. Films films like Twins as well are very eighties. You know, that's what I think mm -hmm. of with with eighties that kind of that kind of atmosphere. There was a lot of good buddy cop films as well in the eighties, weren't there? Mm. Has anybody chosen one of them? No. No. Oh, no. I, was trying, I was trying to do you a really good link there, Steve, but no. No, unfortunately no. Um, <laughs> My three, Die Hard, Ghostbusters, and of course Raiders. And if I'm not having them, can we have, you know, just a lot of another mention, Blade Runner, the two Star Wars films, and all the Die Hards, because, yeah. Yeah, well, um, my list, like I said, trying to avoid, well, I did avoid Star Wars, Die Hard, Blade Runner, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future. Basically, anything that I've spoken about before, anything that anyone else is going to pick. Um, so I've started off with the Goonies. Okay. I don't think you could epitomise a, 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 a sort of children's adventure film from the 80s more than you can with the Goonies. Massive, yeah, ma it's ma very 80s. Very, very 80s. Very 80s. Very entertaining. A lot of fun. Um, starring Sean Astin of um, Hobbit fame and Corey Feldman of, um, I don't really know what anymore. <laughs> was it him or the other Corey that died? That was the other uh, one. It was R River Phoenix who died. No, there was another one. Corey Haim. Corey Haim. I think he, he's dead, I think. Uh, I have no idea, to be honest. I'm pretty sure he is. Let me double check that <laughs> before I sort of... They did, yes, Corey, uh... Corey Haim died in 2010. Oh, sure. Um, Corey Feldman yeah. is very much alive. So, there we go. Anyway, yes, the Goonies, um, a group of friends, uh, who all have different characteristics, of course, or else it wouldn't make for a very good film, all end up finding a map to some treasure that will save their neighbourhood from being made into probably something else that they don't want it to be made into, and so they can all stay together as friends. But there's some nasty people and bad people who are after the treasure as well. I'm sure you've all seen the Goonies as of normal people. Yeah. Do you, do you want to know my favourite Corey Feldman fact, by the way, just as a as an aside? Is he related to uh, EastEnders cast member? Because if not, I'm not <laughs> interested. He, he might be, but I don't know that. Look it up, Steve. You'll have to get some genealogical research going on, look yeah. into his family tree and stuff. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll see if he's got a connection. He did, I mean, he did a fantastic... He's kind of like the iconic 80s kid star isn't he you know he did yeah. um, Gremlins he did Goonies uh, Stand By Me as well Was that was 80s wasn't it yeah um, Owen he's, his last film Corey Feldman was The Zombie King so one for you there Zombie King yes I might have seen that released this year oh in which case no yes so uh, one for you so uh, 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 yeah uh, yeah there was um, he was in The Lost Boys as well which is probably the most 80s movie ever mm. Um, but he was, prior to his success, you know, quite a few years before The Goonies, where he's reasonably young, he got a break by being the voice of, of something. I can't remember what exactly he was the voice of in The Fox and the Hound, you know, the Disney film. 
I know mm-hmm. the Disney film. I'm familiar with the Disney version of The Fox and the Hound. He was yeah, the voice was... of young Copper. Um, oh, there you go. I don't think it was a policeman. That was, um, no, that was uh, the Kurt Russell voice, wasn't it? Yeah. Con- yeah, Kurt Russell was the voice of the the proper older version. There you go. So he was he was around from such a young age and did that amazing run of 80s films and then got very drug adult and stopped yeah. doing anything good. Um, but yeah, the Goonies, back to the Goonies. How can you not enjoy it? I mean, how can you not sit there for whatever it is, about the hour and a half it's on for and, and turn it off with a smile on your face? Um, if a family member died while you were watching it, Right. Um, <laughs> you asked the question, Steve. Yeah. Come on. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm thinking of possible scenarios. For anyway, you. you said that The Lost Boys was possibly the most <laughs> 80s film ever, Jerry. Yeah, second, second on my list could be more 80s than that. Ooh. It's Top Gun. Uh, I've never seen Top Gun. You've never seen Top Gun? No. It just looks like a film for homosexuals. What? <laughs> What's wrong yeah. with you? James hadn't seen it until this year, and then he got a load of stick for for slagging it off. So I'm not even going to bother watching it's, it now. It's bloody brilliant! It's loads of fun. Yeah, it sounds like sort of bum fun, kind of loads of fun. Well, you know what you expect—just a load of action and some planes shooting stuff down, and some people being a bit cool, and yeah. It's got I, Tom Cruise in it, though, isn't it? And you don't like Tom Cruise? Yeah, I hate Tom Cruise. Yeah. I always, I always just assumed that it was like one of those sort of iconic gay movies that gay people liked and normal people didn't. No, I don't really. Normal. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I mean. Heterosexual. Sorry, sorry to any homosexuals <laughs> who are listening. I do not mean to be offensive in that way. It's just late at night. Jerry, <laughs> Jerry McCauley's views on the gays are not shared by the rest of the failed critic family. <laughs> so, are you saying that you are in fact homophobic, Steve? Because I've just, I just was. Not, <laughs> well, just yes, a matter of fact, that I, I'm not homophobic. Now. I think you were sort of, you know, hidden behind a wall of closet homosexuality. Well, no, that's what I'm saying about <laughs> Top Gun. Isn't that what the whole film is about? Isn't it all about not so closet homosexuality? Probably. I'm, it like. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's got that, that kind of tone to it. Whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a film like Inception. I'm not lo- looking for hidden meanings in depth in the film. I'm looking for some people flying some, some planes and shooting the shit out of stuff. Yeah. So, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have seen Top Gun a long time ago, and I didn't like it much. All right, it's, it's yeah. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, my second pick. There we go, fine. Well, there you go. Or it it's might be Who forth. Framed Roger Rabbit. I don't know. It's the 80s. There's lots of good films. I don't know what to pick. I completely forgot about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've changed my mind. It's not Top Gun. It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that is a great film. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, you know the scene in that where the steamroller goes over the boat? Yeah. That was one of the most freaky scenes I'd seen as a kid. That really was just like one of those proper nightmares after watching it kind of scenes. He was a creepy character, though, wasn't he? He was, yeah. yeah. That film was just brilliant. And so, do you know the thing about that, though? Why have they never made another film in that style since then? Mm. Apparently, mm. apparently, they're meant to be making a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which just worries the hell out of me. But you know. Yeah, I was going to say that makes me really worried. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't really work in sort of, Today's kids wouldn't get it because I'm, 
you know, when you flick through the, like the, the cartoon channels and stuff, the kids' channels, the cartoons just aren't like that anymore. Yeah. You know, Tex Avery style cartoons, they're just not on TV anymore. Or when you watch like Tom and Jerry or something and it's the modern Tom and Jerry where all the violence has kind of been softened and it just, just it's ridiculous. I don't think you could have a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit anyway. Yeah, that is just a, a bizarre idea. My um, final film was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is also pretty 80s. Yeah. That whole run of films is, is very 80s, isn't it? Like The Breakfast Club and yeah. Bueller. Easily the best thing Matthew Broderick has ever done. Um, certainly better than Godzilla. Oh, well, yeah, what isn't? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. When no, you... Isn't he married to someone really good, though? Like, really good-looking. Like, way, way, way better in terms of acting and good-lookingness than he is. Um, I don't know. I don't really rate Matthew Broderick very highly, to be honest with you. Neither do I. But I mean, I did really like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So yeah, he was really good at that. But then since then, he was good in Election. Election's a very good film, and he's very good in it. If you haven't seen that, I definitely recommend that. And he he was in Lion King, wasn't he? Did he voice someone in Lion King? He was Simba, wasn't he? Simba, yeah, yeah. Uh, James, uh, Jerry, you yeah. you were very wrong about him being with somebody very attractive. All right, go on then. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh no! So I mean, <laughs> you, I, I, I mean, I still think he's, he's punching above other. his. I still think he's punching above his weight, but she's she's not an attractive lady. I think they probably deserve each other, actually. Um. Anyway, Matthew Broderick, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. When you watch it, and when you finish watching it, you think, I'd love to have a day off school like that. I'd love to be able to skive and have that happen. And the nearest you get is pulling a sickie. But then, because of that, you just have to stay in bed all day because your parents are home, like one of them's home from work, and you think, well, I can't actually go and do anything because they'll go, well, you're not ill, so go to school. And it's harder, it's harder to pull off. Pulling a sickie like that is harder to pull off than what Ferris Bueller makes it out to be. But that's the only bad point of the film. Yeah. It's, 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 sort of relationship between the two main characters and between Ferris and Cameron is just brilliant isn't it all the way through they're just it's one of the best cinematic pairings that's ever been really in terms of just being very normal as well do you Mm. know what I mean they're very recognisable identifiable characters Mm. and you kind of wonder how uh, Cameron sort of become friends with Ferris because he's like the complete opposite Ferris is like this outgoing sort of I suppose Rogue's the kind of the right word, sort of does what he wants and tries to have a good time, and Cameron's just a real negative, pessimistic person. Mm. Maybe it's because his dad's got a Ferrari. Maybe that's why they became friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right, Owen, your list. Okay, my list, yeah. I mean, I don't need to emphasise the point, but, you know, like you two, I've chosen three films that... I hopefully haven't talked about on here before. If I have, then I apologise, but I don't remember talking about them. Um, certainly that was triple bill choices. But my first choice is Wall Street, um, directed by Oliver Stone, uh, starring Michael Douglas, Charlie and Martin Sheen. Lots of other recognisable faces as well. It's essentially the story of a young stockbroker who is uh, willing to do anything to get to the top. So he's a typical 80s guy. You know, um, he ends up trading on some illegal inside information. Um, basically, 
gets in a lot of trouble for it. Um, but he did it because he was taken under the wing of a greedy corporate raider uh, who was played by Michael Douglas. But it's, you know, it's a very good film. Um, I, I only saw it, I think it was last year for the first time, but I absolutely um, fell in love with it. I think it's a very, very good film. So obviously the story's theme is about how power corrupts. Um, and Charlie Sheen's character is this guy who starts out with very little, but through sort of determination, he kind of makes it to the top, but also... Um, Obviously, through uh, illicit means, he makes it to the top. But his character's tested, and, and now ultimately he does give in to this, his own lust for power and money. But I think that's what makes it a good film. It's, it's you know, it's not just a parable about this guy, and you know, it's not just this power corrupts. Ultimately, it's all you know. There is a story to it. There's this character, and he's developed, and he's, he, you know, it might have deeper meaning and be quite satirical, but it's it's got a lot of heart to it as well. I think I was quite taken by that. Um, I think also, I say as well that, that you can sort of identify with the characters, can't you? Yeah. You can see yourself being dragged in in the same way. So That's right. I mean, he's just an ambitious guy who just, you know, all he wants is to to win the respect of his father, but he also wants to live the, you know, high-flying 80s yuppie lifestyle, you know? But, um, yeah. But his relationship with his father, you know, who is played by Martin Sheen, so that's a bit weird. It's kind of strained, and they've got different values. You know, Charlie's this personification of the 80s excess and gung-ho lifestyle. Martin's more of this traditional character, the leader of the union kind of thing. So they play play off each other so well. It's great. But, you know, Charlie's seeking out a different kind of father figure in Michael Douglas, um, who kind of fits the ideals that he's actually looking for in a father figure. I think there's just a great dynamic, not just between those two, but, you know, the way that Charlie interacts with both of them in separate ways, it's it's, it's brilliant. Um, you know, speaking of Michael Douglas, isn't he just amazing in this film? I think it's it's an actor I hadn't really paid much attention to before I saw Wall Street. Um, he's a great character in this, and it's, it's an awesome performance that goes along with it. You know, it's a very clever story. He's got great characters and stuff, but I think his is really just a standout. Um, and also, of course, it fades out at the end of the film to Naive Melody by um, Talking Heads. So obviously it gets bonus points for that. I, I, can I ask, have you seen the sequel that came out not too... Was that a year or two ago that came it, out? With Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't, because I saw that it was Shia LaBeouf. And I thought, no, I don't want to see that. But actually, since I've seen Lawless, I'm pretty bit more open to to seeing a film with him in because I was very impressed with him in Lawless. So maybe I'll have to dig it out now. <laughs> but yeah, that was my first first choice. Second choice is um, The Evil Dead, which was quite early on in the eighties. Surprise! Yeah, <laughs> but I haven't chosen Evil Dead for any triple bill before. I don't think. So I've got to get it in some point, and might as well get it in while we're talking about 80s films. Um, although it does just about sneak in, being from 1981. But yeah, of course, directed by Sam Raimi. It's the ultimate cabin in the woods horror story. Um, and it's just kind of full to the brim of classic, well, what is now considered sort of classic horror film techniques. Um, you know, there's lots of gore, lots of splatter, lots of dark humour, um, 
And of course, Bruce Campbell is in it. You know, people getting possessed via trees. Um, yeah, it's just got all these kind of new iconic scenes from horror films. Uh, it's just an absolute classic film. I wouldn't even confine it to just being a classic horror film. I think it's just become bigger than that. Um, yeah, it's one of those films as well that's never too late for it to be the first time you ever watch it. So I don't think it, it, it seems dated because of the techniques that are used to create it. It just doesn't look old. I think it just looks quite fresh every time I watch it. It so, looks a bit lo-fi, but it doesn't look sort of dated, does it? No, that's it. Yeah, just because it's not CGI, you know, it's all like uh, makeup and stuff like that. It, it's just, I think it that helps it. It sure, I mean, sure, it looks like an eighties film, but it doesn't look dated in a way. Something you know that came after it. I mean, you think Lord Mower Man, for example, you know that used a lot of CGI, new, you know, it's fancy with all its techniques, but you watch it now and it looks quite dated. Whereas the, the kind of horror films that use these, um, you know, put a lot of money and time into the prosthetics of the, the scenes and stuff you know i think it helps it it doesn't doesn't age it as much but um yeah there's just absolute bucket load of gore in this film as well you know lots of jumpy scenes some really creepy uh parts to the film an ace lead character yeah i mean evil ted do evil dead 2 is a great film but i do prefer the original i think it, evil dead 2 is probably the better film when you're looking at it from kind of technical point of view but I just I just Evil Dead is probably my favourite of the two it's the sort of it's all that choppy camera work as well you know how yeah. fast it is as well that that has become so widespread in horror now yeah yeah that's right I mean the camera that just rushes through the woods and stuff just looks brilliant but you forget how sort of groundbreaking that was at the time you know and the sort of he manages to do all that quick stuff and create so much tension by having the camera seem to be sort of a person a lot of the time. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I really like Evil Dead, but I think one of the troubles with it is you seem to forget just how innovative it was at the time. I think you mm -hmm. find, I find it really hard because so much horror now is based almost entirely on it. It's very difficult to see to remember that this was the first one to do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. But you know, I still think it seems quite fresh when you watch it. It seems um, it might have had a lot of things pinched from it, but I still I I really like it. It it was very original. I showed it to my um, brother, not too no, I didn't. I showed it to my mate uh, a couple of years ago for the first time. He'd never seen it before, uh, and yeah, he. He loved it as well. He found it very scary and stuff. That's the beauty of a, a horror film, isn't it? If you can still find it scary so many years after it's been released, that's kind of a sign of a classic, I think. Yeah. Um, but my third final choice um, is a film that isn't without its flaws, um, but it's sort of so iconic and had a real impact on me the first time I saw it that I couldn't really leave it out. Uh, and it is another horror film, I'm afraid, but it's Clive Barker's 1987 horror film, Hellraiser. Uh, yeah, it's about an unfaithful wife who encounters the zombie of a dead lover who's being chased by demons after he escaped from, uh, their kind of sadomasochistic hell after the, after he used a little toy box that unleashed the evil Cenobites who torture and kill those who possess it. So it's, obviously set up to be a very visual style horror film and like the evil dead it is very gory um 
but the gore doesn't feel out of place uh, in this kind of film. I think as it sometimes can feel a little bit shoehorned in that, oh, we've just got to make this horror film and we're just going to put lots of blood splatter and stuff, you know. But it was, it's all relevant to the plot, the whole kind of sadomasochistic themes that are developed throughout the story of the film. You, you kind of need those excessive levels of gore. Um, and I thought the effects were pretty good. They get, they seem to be bashed quite a lot, actually, when I was reading up a bit, Hellraiser, right? so, and I'm not sure why, because I think they, they still look very, um, just creepy, I think is the main word for them. They just look really creepy. Um, but, you know, like I say, it's not within its flaws. The, the plot and the characters are a little bit thin on the ground at times, so I can understand why it gets some criticism in that respect. Uh, and I'm kind of guessing, although I haven't read it, but Clive Barker's original book that this was based on, Hellbound Heart, um, I think that explores those those aspects of the story um, a little more descriptively than the film. But I think the film does a good enough job of sort of presenting these ideas to you and these characters in a very sort of exciting way. But yeah, it made it onto my final three choices, mostly, I guess, because of nostalgia. Because um, the first time I'd ever seen it, uh, well, so, sort of the first time I ever saw it anyway, was um, when I tried to watch it when I was quite young. I was about eight or nine, and my parents were in the other room with some of their friends, and it was quite late at night, and me and my younger brother just in the living room, flicking through the channels on the TV, as you do, trying to get away with watching something you're not supposed to. Um and I came across this film and I had this bloke with pins sticking out of his head and there were these chains and blood flying everywhere. Uh, and I just thought it looked incredible. Very scary, um, but incredible all the same. But I only managed to watch a few minutes of it because my brother went and grasped on me, told on my parents and they came in and turned the TV over and sent us to bed. But it kind of had an effect on me because looking back, that's probably a good thing I only saw a little bit of it because it, it probably would have fucked me up for quite some time if I'd seen the whole film, uh, being only eight years old or nine years old or however old I was. But it held this kind of mysticism for me, because it was this unattainable film. It was just kind of tantalised me with a few minutes of something that I knew I shouldn't have been watching, and I saw this these these horrid like demons. and Yeah, it was just one of these films that I, I knew that I had to watch it when I was older. It, was one of these, it took me a few years to actually finally get around to watching it, but this image has sort of been implanted in my head from quite a young age and when I did see it, I really did like it um, I did enjoy the sequel I read the comics as well I've become sort of a little bit of a Clive Parker fan so I do quite like it it's it's got a, but I, you know I can appreciate that there are quite a few flaws to the story um, and to the some of the characters and the decisions and some of the expositional dialogue that we hate on this podcast but um, that few minutes when I saw it uh, when I was younger means I've got to kind of include it on my favourite 80s films list because it was the kindling for my love of horror films, I guess. So I couldn't leave it out. Have you seen all the, like, slightly dodgy sequels of it? I've only seen um, the first three films in the series. The others, I do try and put the Fine. There were a few that are available for um, streaming on Love Film. And I do look at them sometimes on like a, a Sunday afternoon and my wife's gone out and I'm sat at home on my own. And I think, yeah, I could watch it, but um, I'm not going to watch it. I'll stick with just those three films and the comics, I think. How many have they made now? Do you know? I mean, I, I, yeah. it's one of those things where it's kind of like Saw. They just kept on making film after film after film, didn't they? Yeah, there were nine films, I think. I think they. Nine. Wow. Yeah, I think it's just because it's part of this 
thing where if they don't make another film, they lose the rights to the series and stuff. So they have to just keep pumping out these shitty films that no one's ever going to watch. I think the last one wasn't even, you know, it was just made and not released because they just thought we just need to keep the rights to it. It's amazing. Yeah. Nine films. I've just found the ninth one. It's called Hellraiser Revelations. Oh, yeah. That's 2.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Oh, wow. That's that. That's impressive. Um, <laughs> one of the recent ones, one of the two, the 2005 one, was um, about gamers playing a, a massively multiplayer online RPG yeah. based on Hellraiser. And it's a film about them playing a game about Hellraiser. Oh, I bet that's very clever. Yeah. I bet they did some really great things with that. These, oh, wow. And, and the fact that there are nine, it's just incredible that these depths of cinema exist. You know what I mean? Well, it's like Halloween films, isn't it? The Halloween series. They just kept making more and more and more until they thought, well, we'll just reboot the series. The last one they made before they rebooted it had Jamie Lee Curtis in it um, for like a very couple, very very early stages of the film. And it was just it's a terrible film. I mean, it was really awful. I think it had Buster Rhymes in it and they were filming some kind of um, you know, TV sh- TV show, I think it was, and it was it was on these live. No, it was internet. It was over the internet because it was back when the internet was this cool new thing, and they were streaming this new TV show via the internet. But actually, uh, Michael Myers really turned up at this house that they were filming at, and he started killing everyone. It's really awful. I mean, it just no wonder they had to reboot the series. Hellraiser, I think, could do with a reboot. Um, really, because some of the techniques that you could apply to that film retrospectively or even through, like, like say, just a, a reboot of the whole franchise would be quite interesting. And it's uh, Clive Barker's original novel, Hellbound Heart, was split between the first two films, but not in the kind of way that the, the book tells the story of that film and the other film together. They, they kind of took the themes from it and made two separate films. So I think you, there is scope to actually change the story a little bit or build on the story, kind of. Yeah, but I'm going off on a bit of a rant about horror films, so I'll shut up, Mac. Maybe that's a a good time to end <laughs> the uh, podcast for this week. Um, so yes, join us next week where uh, we'll be reviewing uh, Sinister. And um, can anyone remember what a triple pill is next week? Um, it'll be a surprise, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, I've got it somewhere. I have got it. You, you, to, you to entertain the fans quickly, I'll find out. Um, Jerry, tell them where they can find a website and everything and say thanks to that dude who does the music. Um, the guy, sorry, the, the website is failedcritics.com. Twitter is at failedcritics. Um, we're also on Facebook, which is Facebook slash failedcritics, I believe. Uh, critic, I think. Is it fair for Dick? No S. Oh, this is the trouble with rebrands, you see. <laughs> Not commercially. I feel, uh, like Car- feel like Cardiff City Football Club with our, with our massive rebrand. <laughs> and I think, um, oh, I know what the trouble was. It was, well, we're going to have to change this, you know? Yeah. Because it was the Taken um, Revenge Films one, wasn't it? Well, we don't have to change it. <laughs> we can still do Revenge Films. Yeah, but it's not really tied into Taken, is it? Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, this wasn't really, like, 80s films wasn't tied into Looper, so. Well, 
I think we've said the word taken more times than James would have liked because I think he's trying to avoid any kind of public uh, advertising for that yes. film. <laughs> revenge films will probably be changed. I don't think revenge films kind of fits in with the main review of Sinister so much. Well, we hope you we hope you've taken to us on this podcast, <laughs> and you'll join us next week. <laughs>